when you're new and just learning, that's like your peak athlete phase in your, <laughs> in your experience or in your, uh, in your life, I guess you'd say of whatever you're doing. Um, when I was a cop, you know, the first four years, you're brand new, you're a rookie. And, but I was like, uh, I would go out and get the most arrests I could. I was like hitting the streets hard. I you're on the Grounded Investor Show with your co-hosts, Michael Porsche and Corey McCain. What's up, my party people? <laughs> we got a really exciting interview uh, coming up today, and it was with Anthony Peluso. Is that how you say his last name, Peluso? He might, he might reach out to me if I say it wrong later, so I wouldn't want him to. He's an ex-SWAT officer, ex-policeman from California who quit to get into full-time real estate investing. Yeah, he goes uh, kind of in detail. We even started with uh, some eBay and uh, just some funny stories how his uh, coworkers thought he was crazy for leaving. So Yeah, how uh, his sergeant came up to him and, and was like, oh, <laughs> are you receiving death threats? Yeah, so it's just awesome to hear him uh, dive into how he got his first deal, which he made not a lot of money on uh and was just nothing then first and uh now he's crushing it so yeah yeah here's anthony let's just get right into it so like to for listeners and stuff to really be able to relate and kind of hear your story you know what what life looked like prior to today um and what going into what life looks like now and that's like all encompassing family life work life um just tell us a little bit about that sure so uh, I was uh, in the army back in 2008. Sorry, I joined in 2007. Um, had one child at the time. Uh, was just doing my thing, kind of going about businesses, you know, as anybody else would. Um, I had a second kid in the military, and my wife and I decided because we were gone. I was gone so much. Sorry that I. Um, would get out. And so, you know, when I was in the army, I was in infantry, which is no job relation, uh, you know, in the civilian market. And so, uh, I didn't really know where else to go or what else to do, but prior to being in the military, I had some interest in law enforcement. And so, uh, that seemed to be like the next best thing for me. Yeah. And so I joined up, um, I worked for uh, Fresno PD. So if, if you know anything about Fresno, California, it's real ghetto. <laughs> it's got uh, a pretty good crime rate. Um, but uh, so I, I was in law enforcement for about eight years. I bounced through a couple different departments. Um, but through that time, I also had two more kids. Um, I served on one of the regional uh, SWAT teams in the, in the Valley. And I was also going back to school to get my degree because I thought wow. that's what I needed to, you know, further my, my career. Now, because of that, <laughs> I learned that it took a lot of time out. So it took a lot of family time out. It took a lot of my personal time out, um, both the job and school. And so I ended up, uh, you know, after about six years of being in law enforcement, I had my degree, um, and I'd been gone quite a bit from my family. 
Um, we changed it up a little bit, went to the coast thinking we would get a little bit slower pace of life. Um, and hopefully not as, not as busy work-life balance. Um, and at that time we'd also been introduced to bigger pockets. Uh, bigger pockets was like a, you know, super friendly place to go for real estate investors there. You know, it's not the uh, nitty gritty stuff that you see on YouTube and, um, the hustle stuff. It's more of, uh, for us or for what I thought at the time, it was more of a, just, Hey, everybody's, you know, doing great things and we're all flipping houses and we all have rentals. And so, um, you know, that was good and all, it was great for education because I was learning a lot about real estate in general. Um, but I financially wasn't there to be like everybody else on bigger pockets. Um, and so we moved to the coast. I had learned about bigger pockets. We decided to do a live in flip on the coast. Um, so I was, was still working. Like? <laughs> so I was still working full time, had four kids. Uh, <laughs> and I, uh, was trying to do a live in flip on a three bedroom house. Um, that, I mean, it needed full repairs throughout the entire place. It, it was, it was wild. And, you know, we didn't contract out anybody to do the work except for the people that put in our granite countertops. Um, and I think that's it. Oh, we had an electrician come in and do some electrical work uh, to a panel. Um, and, you know, everything else, we, my, me and a friend of mine who was also a, a police officer at the time, um, did all the work together. Wow. So we did the floors, we did, you know, uh, we painted everything throughout. We put new trim in, we put sheetrock in an entire living space that was downstairs. We sheetrocked almost the entire place, like every wall. Did you have any experience in this prior to? Um, very little. And it was all like home projects. My, when I was like 18, 19 years old, my parents had bought a, or had a shed in their backyard. It was like a pool house. So it was all framed out, but they wanted to build like a mother-in-law stay in the back so that my grandma could move into it. Mm. And so my dad, um, basically hired me for free, uh, <laughs> to do the work. I, I think it was great because I learned a lot about yeah. doing repairs, but I sheetrocked that whole place. I added windows, I added plumbing, I learned electrical to do that. Um, and installing subfloor and, and flooring and things of that nature. So I, it was good for me, especially being young. I got hands on it, you know, learning. And even if I messed up, it wasn't that big a deal because I wasn't getting paid to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and it was my dad's property. So I didn't yeah. have to worry about it, you know. Um, but so anyways, uh, to get back to that flip, the flip was great because we did make a fair amount of money on it. Um, I learned a lot. I How much did you guys make? Um, I got a lot more experience doing like tiling and stuff. Uh, we made, so we paid five fifteen, and we sold it for six fifty or six ninety. Nice. I can't remember, it, but it was a, it was a pretty decent spread. Um, and the cool thing about that was, and what I did learn from bigger pockets to help me was I used other people's money on everything. So I used a VA loan to purchase the property. I didn't pay anything down. Nice. Um, I used, um, lumber liquidators card with zero interest to do the floors. I used a home Depot card with zero interest to do, to buy anything that I needed. So I bought all new tools through them. I 
you know, I bought all my materials and supplies through them and I would buy it on big purchase, you know, big amounts. So it's like $1,800 I would go and spend and they would give me 0% interest on those purchases. And so, you know, I had for a full year and a half, 0% interest on all those purchases. And we sold it by that time so that I didn't end up paying, you know, all the money that I made profit, I paid off all the debt that we had. And then we still had a big chunk left over and no interest and no interest. Yeah. So if anybody's new out there and you're wanting to do a live in flip or any kind of flip, dude, use other people's money. It's amazing. (laughs) I mean, do your numbers, but it is amazing. (laughs) Um, so it, it still was interesting to do the live-in flip because it was so difficult to maneuver around kids. You know, I said I have four kids. They were all living in one bedroom at one point. Um, and, you know, we, we would just move people around as we were doing the work. Um, and we also were enjoying ourselves at the beach so or at the coast because that's where we were living. So yeah. it wasn't like I was spending every single day, although it felt like it sometimes. Um, you know, every single waking moment, I wasn't flipping the house, but I, you know, I spent probably eight, nine months actually doing the repairs on it. So, um, it did take up a a good chunk of time from me. When you were finding, looking for that first place, were you looking for someplace to do a live and flip or were you just looking for a house and you found one that kind of needed some work and you decided to pick that one up? No. So let, let me go back a little bit actually. So it'll help everybody understand. Um, when I got into bigger pockets and I started learning about investing, wholesaling was the least, um, appealing to me. I didn't want to do it. It seemed real trashy. It seemed scummy. And, you know, as a police officer, I related wholesaling to like those dope dealers on the corner, you know what I mean? Selling drugs. Um, I, I related that to somebody being scammy and scummy and I didn't want anything to do with that. Um, and so with that, I found that, you know, wholesalers are like the next, the step below flippers and then above flippers are the buy and hold investors. And so I wanted to skip straight to the top. I wanted to go to be a buy and hold investor. Um, so we were looking for a property that we could rent out part of the space. Okay. So the house that we bought had a downstairs unit and because it was at the coast, we were like, oh, we'll just Airbnb it. And then, you know, we'll have a a living space for us upstairs. The Airbnb would be downstairs and that we would be able to, you know, make a good amount of money and pay for our, you know, part of our mortgage or be able to save, blah, blah, blah. Um, Unfortunately, what we didn't realize is to Airbnb that area, we, because we have four kids and they make a lot of noise, we were going to have to basically soundproof a portion of that property or of that house. And so we did a fair amount of research on how to do that. Um, that's why we sheetrocked the majority of the downstairs. Um, we put a bunch of quiet rock in there, different um, insulation. Uh, we used like some special sound cock that goes in between. We put up resilient channels, which basically takes the vibrations from the wood studs and doesn't put it downstairs. It, Mm. it absorbs it all. Um, so if you've never heard of resilient channels, I hadn't before that. Um, it's super interesting the way the technology works and it does work, uh, but it doesn't work as well as we thought it would. (laughs) Um, so that being said, we ended up not being able to Airbnb it just because we didn't want to hassle with keeping our kids quiet while we were 
renting it out and having to worry about that kind of thing. So we turned it from that, okay, we were going to buy and hold it. Okay. Now we're not going to buy and hold. We're going to fix it and flip it. Um, and so, you know, all this is going on. If you can imagine, I'm a detective at the time. Um, I'm doing a, a, a flip property that we're living in. I have four kids and you know, it's super stressful at that time. Um, so my wife was like pretty much over me being gone all the time because I was in law enforcement. She was pretty much over the flip that we were doing and we were going to try and find something else. She, she was like, we got to figure out something else because we still wanted to be in real estate. We still wanted to pursue real estate. But the time that law enforcement was taking up from me and my family was just not cutting it for us. So my wife looked into doing some other income stuff. She looked into uh, selling on eBay was her new niche that she, she looked up and, you know, she educated herself on YouTube and how to do all that. She did a great job. Um, she showed me how the numbers would, would pan out or work out for us if we did do an eBay business and I did get out of law enforcement. Um, and the other thing is, you know, at this time I was still in, like still loved law enforcement. I was still, I enjoyed the job. Um, and so when my wife told me, Hey, I want you to quit, or I want you to think of doing eBay instead of doing law enforcement. And then we'll do real estate on the side, or we'll do real estate. Once we have enough income generated from the eBay business, um, I was super hesitant. I did not want to do it or resist. I shouldn't even say hesitant. I was resistant to it. Mm. Um, as you can imagine, somebody who's yeah, I've always been the the guy that was an employee. I was I was working since I was 14, 15 years old at a Long's drugstore, you know, and and I always had a job till, you know, a couple of years ago when I decided to branch off on my own. And so I was super resistant, but she kept basically telling me about it and telling me how it will work and how much better it'll be and, you know, as you learn more about being self-sufficient or as you learn more about, you know, owning your own business, things start to become more reality when you are putting the pieces together, I guess you would say. And, uh, so <laughs> it was super, super random, but, uh, back in October of 2018, I had, uh, we had finished a homicide case. We had finished a murder for hire case and there was a sexual assault case that all within a couple months had happened. And the end of the sexual assault case was we were serving a warrant and I was getting home at about like, I don't know, 2 AM. And, uh, my wife basically said, Hey, I I'm done. We got to do something different. You know, you're, you're always gone. Um, Oh, and by the way, a caveat to that is we had already sold our house and for the lat for the three or four months prior or while we were doing those cases and, uh, and you know, we were trying to find a house to buy, but at the same time, we had been renting out Airbnbs on a monthly basis. Oh, man. We wanted cool. to find a different place on the coast to purchase. Yeah. Um, so we were like kind of transient almost, you know, yeah. um, with four kids <laughs> <laughs> and living out of a storage unit. So it was, it was real random. But uh, so all these stressors added up, right? And she, she was like, hey, I'm done. Like, let's, yeah. we've got to, we got to cut ties. We got to, we got to be done. Yeah. And so, um, I, I got up that morning, 
and I wrote up a letter uh, of resignation and I sent that into my chief and I, I basically said, Hey, I'm done. I'm not coming back to work. Um, that because it was so random and out of, you know, uh, that's not normal. Yeah. Uh, I got a lot of responses from people. Yeah, that's um, a really nice job. You know, you're able to take care of your family really well, especially on the detective salary, I'm assuming. Yeah. I mean, I was, I think, uh, you know, if you look it up, I think we were making around a hundred and five or 110,000, um, with all of our, yeah, yeah, exactly. With all of our benefits and stuff like that. Um, and so I had a Lieutenant and a Sergeant visit me and they were uh, super nice about everything, but they, they really thought something was going on with me. Um, like they, they asked me if I was, you know, being held hostage or if, or if somebody would threaten to kill me or something like that, if I didn't, uh, if I didn't resign, um, which I never had even thought of that. Although <laughs> hindsight, I can think a cop would think that, but I had never thought that that would be something that they would ask. They asked if I was suicidal, you know, they, every question that there could be, they wow. were wondering why the hell did this guy leave his job with four kids you know what I mean? Good and, benefits, and, like good and, amount of money. Right. Set for life. Right. Seriously. And you, you could, I mean, it's not the life that I wanted though. And that was the problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, all these books that I had been reading or learning about or videos that I'd been watching were very, uh, specific to buy and hold real estate, um, and eBay at the time. So, you know, I didn't have the financial education at this point yet. Yeah. So, you know, my foundation, you know, going back now, thinking about it, hindsight's twenty twenty. I would have done it totally different, but I'm glad I did. And maybe I wouldn't have done it totally different because maybe I would not, would have never left. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And I don't really know if I would have or not, but that's one of those things that I kind of like always think back. Maybe I wouldn't have left. Maybe I would have just stayed there and been stagnant and never gone and done what I wanted to do. Um, but so I, I quit that day. Um, we moved to Boise about a month later. Um, and now the reason why we did that was a Boise is much cheaper cost of living. Um, the area we had visited already before. And so we knew the area a little bit and we had liked what we saw. Um, and the, the politics fall in line with my political views. Sure. Um, you know, I, I'm born and raised in Fresno. I lived at the coast for a couple of years and I'm, I'm glad that I made the move to Boise. I don't know how long I will stay in Boise. I may stay long-term. I may not. Um, but we're, we're happy that we made the move right now. Um, but what it allowed me to do is go to a cheaper cost of living uh, place. I pulled out my retirement that I had. Um, and I used the profits that I made off the live in flip, uh, to fund our business. Hmm. And now a lot of people will tell will say, Oh dude, why did you pull out your, you know, retirement? Why did you, you should have done this or you should have done that. And everybody's probably right. I probably shouldn't have pulled out my retirement, but, um, I had four kids and I needed something to live off of in the meantime, yeah. while I'm building up my eBay store. And, uh, that is when the transformation all started for me. Mm. Um, when I got to Boise, we, I, I started digesting 
everything eBay related, everything mm. eBay and Amazon related, how to run a store, how to do this, how to do that. And you know, my wife had already done all this before. And so she knew what was going on and she knew what to do, but I had to learn it all myself yeah. um, or listen to what she's telling me to do. Um, but you know, when you've got two people working together, you want to both be on the same page and, and know exactly what to do already. And so basically my life was sourcing, you know, finding things to sell on the market, listing them on the market, and then shipping them out. And that was literally, I, I woke up, I was on Facebook or on YouTube, learning, 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 learning. We would go out and source, we would go list, we would sell, and we would ship. And that was like my life for the first six to eight months being in Boise. And uh, I always like to uh, poke fun at my wife, but one day we were out, I was out in the garage and uh, she gave me like this little mini stroke. She, uh, she yelled for me to come inside and uh, her, her, the, the reflection in her voice or the tone of her voice yeah. made me like think that it was like something danger, you know what I mean? I yeah, got that wrong. Right. I had that fight or flight, you know, temporarily. And uh, I ran inside and I was, you know, what's wrong? What's wrong? But I didn't realize it. I hadn't had any of those um, emotions or feelings or, or adrenaline going through my, my blood as much as I had in the past with law enforcement. So <laughs> I think my, uh, my brain, my hormone got imbalanced or something. <laughs> and uh, after that, so it was like six to eight months after we had cut ties with law enforcement, I got into uh, this eBay thing. And I remember vividly since that uh, stress, that little change in my brain that I call a little mini stroke, um, my mentality flipped from being a, um, being an employee to being a self-employed person. Mm. And um, I'm sure it had something to do with, with all the videos that I'd been watching. I'm sure it had something to do with, you know, my mentality at the time the stress that was going on in my life at the time. Um, but I, I would actually credit that moment as my turning point. So if you're new to uh, any kind of anything, whether it's uh, self-employment, real estate, eBay, you know, a new job, whatever the case is, until you change your mindset from what you were to what you want to be, you're never going to go anywhere. You're always going to stay, you know, stagnant in that thing that you are. Um, and that's one of the things that really, I think, you know, grew me mentally. Mm. Um, and from that point I was digesting instead of just eBay and real estate, I started digesting finance, financial education books. Um, I'd already read rich dad, poor dad. I'd already read some of the like bigger name ones, but I started digesting stuff that was like, um, trying to think of, see if I could pull up my list here that I have, but I was, I was digesting books that were, um, about self-reliance in finance yeah. and things that were basically it, it like changes your mind a bit from, you know, the normal, what you're educated in, in school. Cause they don't teach you anything. Even I have a business degree and I didn't learn any of the stuff that I learned, you know, from these books in Thank my business. Guys. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's super, um, <laughs> it's super nerve wracking for, for most people, I'm sure to just up and quit something. That's, yeah. that's number one. Um, but number two is if, if you're not going to change your mindset, I wouldn't even, or at least attempt to change your mindset. You know, I wouldn't even 
think to, to, to do that. Yeah. Now I'm just happy that it happened for me. Um, but if I had been going, you know, we we're six to eight months of self-employment. If I would have been going through and, and not learning anything and I hadn't had that epiphany of, you know, I need to change my financial mindset. I, I wouldn't be where I am now. Yeah. You know? Um, and so that's gold right there. I'm just thinking in my own life right now, just I mean, <laughs> just quick. Cause I'm like, so I still work at my W2 job. I'm still a firefighter with the city of San Diego. And I just remember I just made a switch and it was super hard for me. Um, but <clears throat> in our, in our department, <clears throat> it's like, like the way you get credibility is by working at a busy station, a busy house, you know, or you get a lot of calls, you deal with a lot of crap, but you also, you know, you get the good ones, you get good fires, you get, you know, stabbing, shootings, all that kind of stuff. So like, that's where you get your cred. Um, and that's like, we looked upon as like, oh, he knows what he's doing. He works at a busy house. I just went from, I would say a semi busy house. It's uh, eight district, which is like near downtown. It's near the beaches, but it's also like in the hub. It's right. It's right in between with a lot is going on. So we can get to a lot of places and do a lot of fires. It's a good house. Um, and I left there because I was running maybe like an average 12 calls a day. Um, which, uh, if you're from our place, it's like, that's a moderate house. Usually a busy house is 17, 18, 19 slow house is like five or six calls a day. But I went to pretty much the retirement station just as I'm transitioning out of the fire service, which is literally, I've, I've only been there maybe about worked there. I think four, four times. And I had one call for four days. Oh one call and four, four days of working there. And it's been, it's been weird. It's been interesting. It's been, I would say glorious in a way of me being able to focus now full-time on investing full-time on being, making podcasts like these or full-time um, just being, yeah, self-employed, taking care of my, own, my own time and like kind of working towards that. But I thought that was, it's definitely a yeah. real thing. You have to literally say bye. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. And, you know, I came from Fresno PD to San Luis Obispo Police Department, and it's the same thing. I yeah. thought, I was hoping anyways that, you know, I would go from a fast-paced, busy place to a slow place, and the calls would die down. And it was probably like the fire service is the same thing. Yeah. You still handle the same types of calls. The stuff doesn't change. Yeah. You know, you're still demanded to be somewhere or commanded to be somewhere when you're commanded to be there. So you don't get to cho choose where you go or, you know, and, uh, it, it really does make a huge difference when your mindset flips and, you know, just to anybody that's listening, if you are in a place like that, you can still be successful. If you change your mindset, it's not like I, you know, me personally, I had to, I had to just cut, cut ties and leave yeah. because my mindset, what I wasn't strong enough to just keep going and, and change what I did. I was like in love with law enforcement. I got my identity in law enforcement mm -hmm. at that time. And you know, it's sad to say it, but that was how I felt. Yeah. Um, and when you really look at yourself and see who you are as a person, you will, you can look back and say, Oh, I'm not just a police officer or I'm not just a firefighter. or mm -hmm. I'm not just a, whatever you, you know, do by trade. Um, but you know, 
move into that, hey, I am this person, I have family, these are who, you know, cares about me all in the end, this is what really matters, let's talk business, right? Let's, let's figure out what's really going to work for us as a family unit and, and or whatever you want to do, whatever you're, you know, whatever you fancy. Um, but so, so yeah, getting back to, to my financial education, I read a lot of Robert Kiyosaki books, I read a lot of Grant Cardone books, um, I read a lot of, um, uh, Chris Voss is a negotiator. Mm. Yep. Um, I read some books about, uh, by him. Let me see where my list goes. Um, I read some, you know, who Chris Nagel is Yeah. or Chris Noggle Nagel. I don't I know how to pronounce it, but he's got the private money guide and he promotes a couple other ones, the 501k plan and becoming your own banker. Those are some good ones. Um, and then your first hundred million by Dan Pena is a good book. I just finished that one actually. Um, and it's more about business acquisitions, not necessarily real estate, although he does talk about it a little bit, but he's got all these guys that I'm talking about, all these books that I'm talking about, these go, these guys all have ideas that have been around forever and it's just not taught. And it's things that will change your mindset or make you think, huh, why aren't we taught these things? Or why aren't we, you know, doing these things and, in business today yeah. and um so they've given me a lot a lot of uh, knowledge or you know i've been able to learn some things and apply some things in my business um and you know i was telling you i was in i was doing ebay at the time or ebay and amazon like as a retail store um i kind of was getting tired or burnt out on it because i would literally my niche was shoes i would go and find used shoes and I'd sell them for 20 to $30 a piece, buy them for two or $3, sell them for 20 or $30. And my inventory would get up to like seven or 800 shoes, pairs of shoes. Wow. And I would sell as many as I could um, and just keep replenishing that, that inventory to be able to, you know, have a steady income coming in. Yeah. And at one point we were making five or $6,000 in sales a month. Um, excuse me seven or $8,000 in sales a month, getting four to $5,000 in income from that eBay wow. business. Um, and so it doesn't take a whole lot of money to get into eBay. It does take a little bit. Obviously, if you don't have any job or anything going on, you would need something to live off of because you couldn't just start an eBay business and start making that kind of an income. Um, but one guy, his name's Chris Lynn. He's on YouTube. He was an, he's an eBay guy. Um, he was, he's like a numbers person and he kept talking about numbers, kept talking about numbers and this is how you get this and this is how you get that. And if you want a six figure business on eBay, this is what you got to do. Um, and one of his things he would always say is you either have to sit them on eBay or Ten thousand one dollar items a month on eBay, and I didn't want to be the person even in between selling five or six hundred items a month. I wanted to be the person that sold one thing for ten thousand dollars. So I figured, yeah. how am I going to find that one thing that I can make ten thousand dollars a month on, so that I can afford to to live very nicely, right? Um, and so obviously on eBay, that's pretty difficult to find something or to source something, especially in a local market for you know, buy low and sell for 10 grand. That's extremely difficult. Yeah. And, uh, so that's, that's what brought me back to real estate and that's what brought me into wholesaling. And I, again, 
when you're in doubt or when you don't know what to do, what do you do? You go to YouTube and, or you Google it, um, and, and go and find out what it is that you're doing. And, uh, Max Maxwell on YouTube has a great video and he talks about, he explains wholesaling very well for people who think it's scummy. (laughs) And so, you know, I was still under that impression. I was still under that impression, but I thought about it because I'm buying used shoes from a thrift store and I'm selling them for 10 times what I'm buying them for. How much more scummy can you get? You know, it's, it's the same thing. Right. <laughs> I mean, I might as well be selling drugs almost, you know, I just, I, I, I correlated it all the same. And so, so I gave it another go. <laughs> I listened to Max um, and he put it into different words than I had ever heard it before. We're no longer finding crappy houses and just selling them for a quick dollar. We're looking to help people who are in a bad situation, we will buy their house from them and then we will sell it to somebody else. That way they don't have to deal with the mess. They don't have to deal with the repairs. They don't have to, you know, deal with the foreclosures or the liens or anything like that. We can do that for them. We can help them with that. And I thought, damn, that's a great idea. I never thought of it like that. I always thought of it how people on bigger pockets portrayed it a lot of times, you know, and it's not everybody, but the majority of the time, if you read bigger pockets, their wholesaling is not necessarily as friendly as buy and hold and, no. and flipping on yeah. opinion on it. Um, but so anyways, I, <laughs> so this is now from the, my journey of financial, you know, education and eBay and, and real estate. I'm like a year and a half into all of this at this yeah. point still made $0 in real estate wholesaling at that point. Cause I was just getting into it. Right. And this is last, last year in about August timeframe, but I started following max started listening to all these podcasts. I started going to other podcasts. I was listening to pace Morby. I was listening to real estate disruptors. I was listening to a bunch of different ones and um, they are the ones who taught me how to, you know, get lists and how to market myself and how to market on Craigslist and how to send out, you know, put up bandit signs and, and do all. And so I kind of tried a little bit of everything. Um, still while working eBay, I kind of tried a little bit of everything to see what was going to work for me. And I'll tell you this, I got a lot of calls from bandit signs, never, never got a deal off of bandit signs. Um, I did a lot of cold calling and at the time I didn't know what a triple line dialer was. Um, and I didn't have the money to, to invest in it. So yeah. I had been hand dialing numbers. Um, and my first deal came from cold calling mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll go, I'll run down the cold call that I got in my deal just because it's pertinent to my actual story. But, um, I text messaged, uh, like hand text messaged people, which I didn't get anything off of. Granted, I probably only did like 250 to 500 text messages before that point. I was like, what am I going to do? I've put out Craigslist. I've put out bandit signs. I've cold called, I've text messaged, and I'm not getting the results that I wanted. Well, also at that time I had been going to these meetups and I think meetups are probably one of the most important things to do. Go be yourself at the meetup. 
go introduce yourself, talk to people, try to get into real estate, even if you're not in real estate. I wasn't looking at a bunch of properties at the time. Granted, I, I went out to a few appointments with people from cold calls and from uh, bandit signs and texts, but I wasn't getting any deals and I wasn't going out and looking at tons of properties every single time I, you know, every single week. It wasn't, I wasn't full time. I was just doing it as I could. Um, but so for about six months, uh, no results. I kept doing it just to see, you know, I kept trying, I kept trying, I kept trying, I had nothing. Um, I sent out a Facebook message because um, I was trying to kind of gain more traction with my website or with my, my Facebook uh, site, business site. And I said, hey, if you know anybody that wants to sell their house, I'm buying houses for cash, let me know. And it was just out to friends and family. Huh. Well, luckily for me, I had a, a friend who's in the army, still in the army. His mom wanted to sell her house. She lived in Georgia and so, I'm in Boise, never <laughs> been to Georgia other than basic training. Um, I was like, sure, let's do it. I will buy your house. Right. <laughs> so I called his mom and we chatted for a little bit. She explained to me what was going on. She'd already had an offer from open door. Um, and I was looking her address up on prop stream and other sites trying to gain a, a little bit of knowledge about comps in that area and open door, given her offer of like 190, 195. And my comps showed that that was a decent price in that area. It was a nice area, good schools and stuff like that. Um, and what I didn't know was that Open Door also went in after the fact and told her, okay, it's not going to be 190, 195. It's going to be closer to like 180. So I didn't know that. But I had at the time, oh, 190, 195, comps show it. Let's do it. I'll do 190, you know, thinking it wasn't going to be a big deal. Yeah. Um, excuse me, 195. So I got it under contract at 195. I posted it on an uh, Atlanta Facebook group. Um, I got a couple of buyers that were interested in doing it. Um, but everybody that went and looked at it didn't want anything to do with it. And I didn't understand why. Well, I found out later that the, it was a split level and the way the house flowed, you were going to have to break down some walls and po put some, some, you know, new framing up to make it what the standard is today. Yeah. And so I connected with this guy from, um, shoot, I can't remember, New Western. It's like a big uh, hedge fund type buying uh, business. And uh, he was an acquisitions manager. They typically go direct to seller. Um, but he said that he would buy it at 185. And obviously my number was 195. So, right. Um, but also this is my friend, who, his mom. And so I also wanted to sell this house. So I went back to her and said, Hey, I'm sorry. You know, I think we can get 195 for this, but I can't get it for you. And at the time it was like, she wanted to close in 60 days, not 30 days or 10 days. She wanted to close in 60 days because she needed to find a place to live. Yeah. Um, but I told her, I said, Hey, I'm not going to be able to promise you 195 in 60 days because I can't find my buyer. And I was up front with her at the time. I told her how I, how I was going to do it, how I wasn't like, it wasn't my own money. I was actually finding the buyer for her, but I wasn't taking the real estate fees. Like she would normally think that the real estate fees were. So I wasn't like, you know, hiding the fact that I was 
catching a commission or something sure. like that. I told her how I made money on, on buying her house. Yeah. Um, so she was, she knew what was going on. She was in the know on this. Um, and so she understood, um, originally she, she was basically said, Hey, I can't do anything less than 190 cause I want to buy a new house and this is how much money I need and this is how much I owe. And so I said, okay, what can we go down to like 188? You know, let, let me get in the middle somewhere. And she was like, yeah, let's go to 188. So I called the new Western guy. I said, Hey dude, I got this thing down to 188. I'm not making any money on this, but I'll sell it to you. Cause I want this house to sell. I want to be able to perform on my first contract that I've ever had in, yeah. you know, in real estate. Right. Like, I really so. don't care how we get it done. I just want to perform. Right. Yeah. Um, and it, this whole time, this whole process was learning for me because I was going back and forth with buyers. I was going back and forth with my seller. I was learning how, you know, big businesses do it. I was learning how small businesses do it. Um, and so finally he says, Hey, let's do 185. I'll cut you a check for like two grand. We'll be at the 187 mark. Um, what do you think about that? And so I'd gone back to my seller. I said, Hey, I can do it for, for this price. Um, but here's what I'm going to do for you. Since you were at 188, I'm going to give you all the money that I would have gotten out of this. They're going to give you 187 for your house. I'm not going to take a commission on this thing or any money on this thing. You know, we're just selling your house to these guys and I'm being, you know, just making sure we close this, close this out. Wow. And she was fine with that. Uh, I talked to new Western, the guy over there was, he agreed to do that. He, you know, obviously he was, the money's just going to her and not to me. Mm -hmm. Um, but so that was my first transaction. Uh, it was the first one that we got closed. Her house got closed. It actually closed before this whole, whole COVID thing happened. So she is like super grateful because her house could have been 20, $30,000 less right now. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Right. Because of the market. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, in that probably from December to January, I had been hustling, looking at properties, bringing properties to the table at my local meetups and not deals that I had under contract, but just properties that were in a flippers range and, you know, almost like a bird dog, but not necessarily really doing anything. It just looked like I was in real estate, you know? Yeah. For those who don't know, what's a bird dog? Um, so bird dogging is when you go out and look for properties and you have another wholesaler or another flipper get those properties under contract for a bird dog fee for a small fee. So typically, um, you know, if I'm going driving for dollars and I go and pick out 10 houses and I get one under contract or I go and pick that one out, I'll give it to another wholesaler and that wholesaler would, you know, pay me a grand or two grand to get it under contract. Now I will say this, I have never bird dogged other than that. <laughs> I've never earned money bird dogging. Um, it literally just got my into the door. Yeah. So bringing it, you know, full cycle from where I started on eBay, I had been, you know, marketing myself basically at meetups for about six to eight months and, uh, partnered up with another real estate investor who is a flipper. Um, he came to me, he's like, Hey, you know, I see you're working. I see that you're doing this kind of stuff. Um, what do you think about partnering up with somebody? And Hey, you know, I wasn't making money on real estate yet. And just about that time is when eBay started to slow down because things from China started to slow down. And so, yep. um, my business was slowly moving, 
you know, downwards from where it had been. And uh, I said, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's see what we can do. Um, we put a business plan together. We started marketing more because he was bringing in money to do the actual marketing. And so I was able to spend my time facilitating all the marketing and going out on, on appointments. And so in the first month, I'd say we pulled out like, I don't know, 10 or 12 appointments and we closed, or excuse me, we got under contract four or five properties and we closed in the first two months, I think four or five properties um, as, as partners. Um, and those were just the wholesale deals. I think we made 40 to 60 or $50,000 in assignments in the first wow. month and a half, wow. um, um, you know, doing work together and, and going out. So he's a real estate agent. So that kind of helps when you have a real estate agent on your team. Yep. Um, and I was just a hustler. So <laughs> I would go out and do, do a lot of work to get those leads that came in. Um, and then COVID hits. Uh, but in the meantime that COVID hit, we had also purchased two properties together that were, we were going to flip together. Um, so I ended up going out and working on some of those flip properties, like doing the actual work on the flips with him and, uh, and his other team members that he was using for his flips. Um, and we just went under contract on one of them, one still on the market. So we'll, we should close on June 1st for our first flip that was in our partnership together. And, so how long um, from that, that flip you started to when it's finished? What's, what's that time frame? Um, that one was very small. It, it only took us about a week to do it. So the, the, other, the other one um, that we've got going, that one took a little bit longer, but it was only like two or three weeks of, um, I, well, I take that back, probably three to four weeks from purchase to being on the market. And uh, my partner's got his stuff nailed down as far as flipping systems go, who he's mm -hmm. got contracting and who he's got coming into work. So that was, you know, total attribution to him and on the flipping side. Um, he's been great and, and no doubt why we are, we are where we are. Um, but it's, it's just a, a testament, I guess, to putting in the work and, and showing up every day, I guess, showing up to, you know, to market yourself or talk business or, you know, you know, when I was in the army, they used to say, Hey, fake the funk. If you don't know what you're doing, just fake it till you make it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, in law enforcement, you kind of get out of that cause you can't fake stuff in, in law enforcement. That stuff's real deal. Holy feel, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, so you kind of, again, goes back to mindset. Where, what are you thinking? Where are you, where are you at in your business or where are you at in your life? You have to, you know, gauge yourself and go to where you want to be. Yeah. Stop thinking about where you're at. Stop thinking about, you know, the things that you do on a daily basis and where do you want to be in your life? And, and me, I, I want to be wholesaling properties so that I can buy and hold, mm. you know, that's in the long run. I'd like to have a hundred unit apartment complex and just chill like that'd be great. Right. Yeah. Um, and so those are my, those are my goals is to, to add some units, get some, some buy and holds in my portfolio. Um, but right now I'm in the beginning still, you know, I'm still in the beginning phases. I've been doing wholesale for just under a year and, uh, and I'm really looking forward to keep, you know, keeping doing the deals and we haven't really slowed down that much. Um, we got a, 
at two o'clock, I have an appointment today to go sign a contract uh, to get another property under contract today. Um, so that one should be going out to our buyers here this afternoon, hopefully. And we just uh, submitted another offer um, that we went and checked out this morning at like eight o'clock on another property uh, here in Boise. And so, I mean, it's, deals are out there. People are still selling. Yep. Um, people are still buying, obviously, because, you know, me and my partner, we've put five properties into um, on the market and into escrow in the last four or five days or four. Yeah, four or five days. So, I mean, stuff's still kind of moving along right now. We do kind of suspect that there's going to be a slowdown a little bit, but I, I don't know how much it will affect uh, wholesalers yet. Obviously, I think it's too soon to tell. I just, yeah. I'll be opportunistic right now and anything right. that comes my way, you know, try and get something that I can out of it and, and go well, from what there. I've seen. It's pretty much every market is there is wholesaling every market. Um, it just may look a little different. Price points may be a little higher, might be a little, a little skinnier on the deal, but there's still going to be a wholesaling every market. Yeah. Um, so just so we call it going underground is something that we're just getting kind of into as well. But do you have a deal in mind that is, pretty unique or are you like, yes, get some on that <laughs> well, you want to. So, you know what? I will tell you about the, uh, my first property that I got under contract, not the Georgia property. The first one here in Boise, yeah. um, it, that came from my cold call. Um, I cold called this dude back in October. He's an older gentleman. He was facing foreclosure, facing auction. He had put his house on for sale by owner and he wanted like 320 or 350 for his house, something unreasonable yeah. at the time or market value at the time for yeah. a fixed up property. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's in a desired area, you know, it probably, I don't know what it would sell for right now, maybe 400, 375, maybe tops right now. Sounds good. Um, well, but he wanted 350 okay. and you would have had to repair it to oh. get to your 375 or, you know, 400. So you Got wouldn't, it your margins would be real small at that point. Yeah. It wouldn't have been a wholesale. It wouldn't have been a fix and flip. Right. Yeah. Um, so I had told him originally, Hey, I'd be a buyer at like two ninety, two eighty five, somewhere around there. Cause we would have been buyer or I would have been a buyer at that. Yeah. Um, but that was back in October and I was still new. Obviously I didn't know how to talk to people as well about real estate as I do now. Um, and so, um, we ended it. There was, you know, he only wanted 350 and that was it. Like end of story. I don't want to talk to you unless you could bring 350 to the table. And so, uh, I, I just lost his number basically never really followed up with him because I didn't have systems in place at that time, uh, to follow up with anybody. Um, and, uh, just went about my business, kept going to the next one, you know? Yeah. And in January, right after my partner and I decided to become partners, I got a phone call from him saying, Hey, I was just wondering if you still wanted to buy my property and me being new to my partnership, I thought, Hey, how much greater can that be? I'm actually bringing something to the table right away as opposed to, Hey, I'll just use your money to do some marketing and hopefully we can get a deal. Right. Yeah. So my work it was paying off for me and my partner is now benefiting from my work previously. Right. So I didn't feel like such a dirtbag. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you have something on the table. Right. Right. So, uh, I said, Hey Chris, um, I got this guy, you know, I called him back in October he says he's ready to sell now. He was at 350, which is like a, a ungodly amount at that time. 
but I think he's willing to go down his property. It's getting closer to the auction, closer to the, to the, you know, finish of foreclosure. Let's see what we can go do out there and go talk to him. And he said, yeah, yeah, let's do that. So I get an appointment with him. We go out there, we start talking to him. We kind of get his pain points are, you know, money, obviously. Um, he still wants a little bit higher price than what I originally wanted. And, uh, and cause we were still at that 285, 290 where, you know, price well, range. What was he asking for? He wanted 320. Okay. Um, and, but he, so he was still much higher than what we wanted to go. Um, but we kind of chatted with him for probably about an hour, hour and a half. And we ended up looking at doing a subject two. And uh, we offered him the subject two option so that we would pay off all his liens, get, excuse me, get him, get the foreclosure stopped, the process stopped, take the auction out of this picture, allow him to live there for another 60 days or 45 days. And then we would buy the property. And I think our final number was 300,000. And for and those so, who don't know with subject two, can you give a little more explanation on what that looks like? Sure. So basically we were going to buy the property subject to his actual loan that's already in place. So we would be taking over that, that loan for him, yeah. um, you know, basically. But what we had to do, why this one was a little bit different was he had like 70 or no, excuse me, $31,000 in liens and, um, uh, behind on his mortgage. So we had to bring 31,000 to the table or our buyer did, our end buyer did to be able to stop the foreclosure process and close on that property with a subject too. So there's a little bit more risk in that um, for the buyer because they're basically paying $31,000 hoping that this guy's going to move out because if we stop the foreclosure process at 31,000 and he doesn't move out, well, then we have to go through the eviction process and, you know, it's a, it's a big mess or it's a little bit more of a hassle. Luckily, um, he did stay a little bit longer, I think, than we were supposed to, but yeah. he ended up getting out in, in a relative time and, and everything worked out really well for the buyer and for us. Um, we took a $14,000 assignment fee on that um, and Chris found a buyer for us like right away um, and he was another wholesaler that also does flips in the area. And so he knew what was going on. You know, he, he was, you know, rehearsed on subject to purchasing. And so kind of made it easy. Uh Oh, you still see me? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. My screen went white for some reason. Um, so it, it made it easy for us to be able to work with another wholesaler, with another uh, person who was, who was knowledgeable on, on those, subject to purchases anyways. Mm. Um, but it, it was an easy deal for us. It was a deal that I got from, I thought I was never going to talk to this guy again to three months later, four months later, he's like, Hey, I'm here. I'm ready to sell my house. Wow. And we were able to negotiate $50,000 less than what he, his original price was. So yeah. it, was, it was kind of a good one. Which it's in wholesaling right here. So often now, if you can, um, YouTube videos too, but like, man, money is in the follow-up and always yep. just being able to, I mean, luckily he followed, followed up with you. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it's always, that's, what's where people get, I would say like 70% of their deals is through follow-up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, the funny thing is he wouldn't have had my contact info if it was just coming through a phone call, I don't think. Yeah. But at the time I had been 
forwarding or not forwarding. I'd been, after I cold called somebody, I would send them an email. And so I was using Google for everything. I would have my Google spreadsheet open. I would have my Google voice open and I would have my email open. And so I would copy and paste their phone number, copy and paste their email. I'd make the phone call. I'd send the email and I, you know, that's how I was kind of getting a, a lead flow, you know, sort of say yeah. <laughs> yeah. my CRM was in my Google inbox, my, my, you know, free. Um, yeah, exactly. And, uh, so luckily that email was a chain that he had responded to saying that he would take 350 and we kind of went back and forth on email. And when he recontacted me, it was through that email was saying, Hey, are you still interested in buying my house? So I don't think necessarily he would have my phone number at the ready, you know, at the yeah. time, especially because he told me afterwards and when we were doing the negotiating that other people would come and talk to him and that he had phone numbers and letters and all this stuff, um, you know, lot piled up, basically tons of buyers wanting to buy his property from him. Wow. So, That's great. yeah. That's great. Um, Corey, you got anything? Yeah. Well, I was just going to, you know, really commend you for uh, hopping in because I know a lot of the you know, beginning investors, it's always that first deal that is the most difficult. And, you know, it's cool to hear a story that you're willing to go to a different state. You barely even yeah. go to <laughs> uh, just crazy. that idea of saying yes, you know, when something pops up rather than, you know, your first thought to say, no, like I, I've never even been to Georgia. You said, yes, hopped in, yeah. you know, right. didn't, you didn't make a ton of money off of it, but you gained some, you know, experience. You understood the process. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not only right that, up. you decide but, not to make any money off of it. Yeah. And going to another state. Just <laughs> it set you up, you know. That was yep. kind of like the first step and the, the starting point for you. And now out here just uh seeing you guys really take off and um really the benefit of partnerships. I hear over and over again when people are like, you know, I was out there grinding away on my own and as soon as you know, they're willing to kind of team up and use each other's strengths to, to build a business. A lot of the time that's when people just really take off. And, you know, I think you're a testament to that. So that was kind of an awesome testimony for sure. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. Get some. I love that. <laughs> well, hey man, we, we, we always like to finish our, um, our, our interviews. So we're definitely coming in time short here, but, uh, with four different questions. Right, Corey? Good one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm going to start off with the first one here. Is this, um, and these are kind of like short, sweet ones is, is what we're looking for. But, um, if you were to mention one thing that keeps you focused, what's that one thing? Family. Oh, yep. I, a, I was gone from it for the first like 12 years of my family man life. And, yeah. uh, dude, I, I lost a lot of time, I think. And it shows with my oldest son, unfortunately. Um, but, you, you know, my youngest kids have gotten more of me than my oldest have. And uh, I feel terrible about it. Um, but I'm, I'm rebuilding now. And so, you know, being focused on them and, and focused, you know, primarily on taking care of them. Uh, it keeps me going. Yeah. Wow. Wasn't awesome. that the same for uh, Casey too? We talked to <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, family, you know, Makes a lot sense. of, uh, you know, people, kids and, you know, wives and everything. That's a, a big driving point. So yeah. yeah. And uh, free time. I, I mean, Michael is in the fire department. I used to be a park ranger 
uh, down in Southern California. So, you know, all of us, I think we're kind of looking for the same thing, you know, just more time and, you know, not working 60 hours a week when they tell you to show up and, um, yeah, you know, just time and a big driver for sure. Absolutely. You got the second one, Michael? Uh, yeah. If you get the last two. Sure. Do you know the last? Okay, cool. Uh, second one is, uh, what is, what would you, um, say is the reason for your success? Oh man, I guess it's just my drive, uh, to be successful in anything that I've done. And most people that I know, or most people that know me really well would probably say the same thing. Most of the things that I try to do, if I'm actually trying to do it, I can be successful in it. Um, you know, I've always been high drive. I've always been the kind of person to, if I put a hundred percent effort into something, I'm going to be successful in it. Um, one of the guys that when I left the left law enforcement, they told me, Hey dude, you will be successful in anything you do. If you do, you know, if you act the way you were acting when you were in law enforcement, you'll be successful in anything you do. And I I think it's so true. I I've always had, uh, I had this one piece of advice that was always ingrained in me, um, as a law enforcement officer came from one of my sergeants. He said, do the right thing for the right reasons and you can never be wrong. And, uh, it like stuck with me. And so I've always thought, okay, how am I going to do the right thing here? What is the right thing here? And whether it's family, whether it's, you know, business, whether it's, you know, my law enforcement career, no matter what it was, I always stuck with that is, Hey, do the right thing, do it for the right reasons. Boom. You'll never be wrong. Yeah. I like that. That's good. Uh, And you gave us a few, uh, in the beginning, but do you have a favorite either book or podcast recommendation that, you know, we should definitely either look up, promote, or tell the listeners about? Sure. Sure. So, um, I'll just tell you the 501 K plan, becoming your own banker and the private money guide, those three books together, um, are like a financial, uh, plan or a financial outlet to wealth. And it's something that I am working on right now myself, use them as textbooks. Um, it's, it's something that will kind of change your perspective on retirement. It'll change your perspective on investing. Um, I never knew. Or Chris Nagel. Uh, Chris Nagel is the private money guide. Becoming your own banker is Nelson Nash. It's an older book. And then the 501 K plan is by the Palm beach research group. And all those books are primarily about investing uh, not necessarily just in real estate, but just in general. Um, the the primary is using whole life insurance to fund deals, to fund life, to fund vacations, to fund you know cars, whatever the case is. Um, but you use whole life insurance to fund whatever you want to do, and it's uh, it's a vehicle that the rich have used for a long time. And they don't teach it. It's not like a normal thing. I had never heard of it until reading those books until I heard a couple of podcasts about it, but it's, it's what the wealthy use to make money. Mm. Um, and I didn't realize that until reading those books. Um, beyond that, uh, rich dad, poor dad is a classic, obviously. Yeah. But I, honestly, I, I, I've been reading books, more books now in my adult life than I have ever read. 
ever, even throughout <laughs> all my schooling, even through college. Yep. Isn't that true? <laughs> I, it is. It's amazing. Self-employment, reach, even in, in investing in real estate, is just, it's like nonstop. Yeah. Hopefully. All right. Well, I mean, it was awesome interviewing you. Great to have you on. Um, I know we'll probably see what you're doing because you're just kind of getting started here, but you know, years down the road, maybe we'll have to have you on again yeah, for sure. Anytime, dude. Anytime. Yeah. But how um, can uh, people either get a hold of you or get on your so, buyers? I, sure. So my business name is Bold Home Buyers. So you can find us on Facebook, Bold Home Buyers on Facebook. You can find us boldhomebuyers.com. Um, my name is Anthony Peluso. You can find my face, my personal Facebook on there. I don't really care how you reach out to me. I'm, I'm open, especially right now I'm new, so I'm still learning, but just know that, you know, whatever you're doing. Um, when I was a cop, you know, the first four years, you're brand new, you're a rookie. And, but I was like, uh, I would go out and get the most arrests I could. I was like hitting the streets hard. I enjoyed myself. I, but then as you get, you know, longer into the job, you slow it down a little bit. Well, it's the same way I see in every facet. So right now I'm like high speed doing everything that I can every single day. I'm sending out text messages. I'm cold calling. I'm, you know, hitting people up on Facebook. I'm doing the Facebook groups to try and find buyers and sellers. And um, so I'm out there trying to, to work real hard right now. So uh, the more experience I get, the, the more deals that I get going, yeah, I will, I will be glad to share any information that I can. So if you're new and you want to do a deal with us, Hey, bring something to me, call me, let me know. So, Thanks again for yeah, being no on the problem. show with us and spend that time. And I think that was, that was value. And it's also not only that value, but it was unique, interesting, you know, it's like, cool, that's yeah. pretty, it's pretty legit. Yeah. You know, when I agreed to do this, I, the only reason that I did was because that I know my story is a little different than most people. And most people don't take the leap like I did. Yeah. Um, and hell, it was scary for me at the time. I just was kind of more willing to just say F it and see what happens, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so me being new, I did not want to do this at first um, because I didn't feel like I was relevant or had something to share. But uh, uh, thinking about it more, I, I, I feel like somebody out there might be in the same position that I'm at and yeah. might be willing to take that jump or ready to take that jump, but nobody is, you know, told them, Hey, you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at least they could hear, you know, what my story is and maybe mm -hmm. decide how oh, he could do it. I could do it. Wow. That was a great interview. This was, um, something I thought was very just original people. People kept like, can re like relate to, you know, he's a new investor, but he's one who is, who is, all in and just destroying um, from what he knows how to do. And, and he's making the best use of that. Yeah. He's, uh, you know, putting in the hard work, you know, right in the beginning, that's when you're out there grinding away, making the calls, networking. And Anthony showed he's definitely willing to do that. And um, yeah, just great, great talking to him. And I'm looking forward to seeing where his career goes in the next few years for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I love what he said too about, he said, do the right thing for the right reasons and you will never go wrong. I just, he had said something else too that was pretty like pertinent, but like, man, I thought I was like, yeah, it's like totally on it. And I think that's in reality in life and, and with real estate, if, you know, if, you're, if your intentions are right and you know, your mechanics are right, um, you know, it's, it's really hard to go wrong 
in terms of, you know, for your success or what you're hoping to do, as long as it's plausible and reasonable, like there's no reason for you not to do, to be able to do what you want to do. As long as you're putting the work in, you're putting the time in and, you know, you're researching enough information about how to do it. And he kind of goes, talk a little bit about that too. Awesome. Yeah. So jingle, jingle, jingle. See you next time. Yeah. Thank you for watching the Grounded Investor Show. If you'd like to know more about investing in Idaho, go ahead and contact us at 208-219-7655 or go to groundedinvestor.com.